So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, I am your uh, relaxed, refreshed, and fully vaccinated host, uh, Nate Larkin. <laughs> yeah, here, here with, here with the know. other host, also fully vaccinated, right? I am fully vaccinated. We are no longer half-vaxxed. We are full-vaxxed. So. <laughs> David, I think we can now resume our face-to-face weekly meetings that we had to abandon when yes. this whole pandemic started. I think I think it's about time. I really I'm yeah. I've missed it like crazy, but yes, since we are both actually, you know, vaccinated and we live in the same, you know, proximity of one another again. Um you've met, you've you've moved back to the New Jerusalem where you belong. I'm glad exactly, that you're here yeah. in Franklin again. Came, yeah. Came back to uh-huh. Mecca here. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'm just I I feel this surge of optimism about a new beginning. It probably has something to do with the arrival of spring and the trees are leafing out again and Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know the drone of lawnmowers. You the familiar, you know. Uh, Allie and I, little uh, a little later today, we'll be going to nurseries to find plants that we can put out in the beds. It'll be time uh, to yeah mulch and get it all done. Uh, which is something that you get to avoid because you live you you don't have a yard to care for, do you? No, I do not. And you know what? We ate dinner in the courtyard uh, the other night. We just got carry out and went downstairs mm-hmm. and ate down in the courtyard. And um, it was so great because um, I, you know, I didn't have to tend to it. It's beautifully landscaped. It's got a fountain. <laughs> <laughs> and none of, none of it required a damn thing for me other than that I pick up my trash, you know. <laughs> so it was wonderful. <laughs> it was absolutely yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to marshal the enthusiasm uh, required to to uh, to manicure the lawn to to care for this. I don't know, little quarter acre, half acre, whatever it is, Allie have Allie and I have here at the corner of Adams and Cleburne. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can I can see a day just around the corner when it would be nice to have somebody else taking care of all of that stuff. Yeah, I told a friend the other day I don't miss owning a house. I don't miss owning a house. By the time I factored in all the stuff that I was paying other people to do, I thought, yeah, you know, you could live. Okay. (laughs) Just, you know, put that toward a nice place somewhere. And, uh, you know, you and Lily just sort of hole up and, 
you know, we're yeah. moving on up. So that's what we did. So I am grateful that um, I at least in recovery with the gifts of sobriety and I'm, I'm capable of maintenance in a way that I wasn't during my years of active addiction. When right. when the addiction was siphoning away, siphoning away, you know, a vast, a very high percentage of my energy, yeah. and it was all just focused on survival, right? So right. I neglected health maintenance, I neglected financial maintenance, and I certainly neglected house maintenance during those years. Well, yeah, and now I'm actually, uh, you know, actually capable of maintaining this little piece of property that we have. Well, you've got a little more time uh, on one your of the hands. gifts of sobriety. Yeah. You've and, got- and some more time on my hands. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Although I will, I, I will tell you, you know, we've got a lot of uh, plants around the property that need to be watered and I've been doing it for the past few years from a single hose, oh. one, you know, one exterior faucet. So miles of hose that we snake around the house so a couple of weeks ago, we had some plumbers in to do a repair. And I, I thought, you know, while they're here, why don't I have them put in a couple more exterior faucets? Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I would love a hose bib out in front of the house. So I talked to them about it. They said, well, you know, it's going to be some work. We're going to have to crawl under the house. I got a very shallow crawl space, and hook into, you know, but they could do it. They quoted me a price and uh, you know, since I'm not spending that money on other stuff, the money was there. So we agreed on a on a price. And so these young guys crawled under my 100-year-old house and they, they put a new hose bib out in front, which oh, is man. wonderful. So the next day, I'm watering my ferns. And I, all of a sudden, I thought, man, this, this hose feels warm. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> they connected it to the hot water line. I was cooking the plants. Lord, I was going to say burn them out. Yeah, scald them. <laughs> yeah, so I had to call them and, you know, they were a little bit sheepish when they came back. And, uh, you know, they did the work and got it fixed. Oh, man. But uh, you know what? The small pleasures, I didn't get, I, I, I laughed at it. I didn't get angry. I didn't get frustrated. I didn't feel like it was a cosmic injustice. Yeah. I didn't have to, you know, call them incompetent. Uh, I was able to extend to them the same grace that I'm able to extend to myself because it's been extended to me by others. Right. It was an honest mistake. Any, I could have made a similar mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. the great thing about recovery is you learn, uh, and sometimes we forget it, but we learn the big deals from the not so big deals. You know, yeah. um, what is it uh, that I'm willing to, is this a hill worth dying on? You know, most of the time yeah. it's not. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a small piece of recovery wisdom. We have got a guest this week who really has made it his life's work to kind of focus on the practical wisdom Uh those practical life skills that uh, that are a part of living in positive sobriety. Yeah, and does a good yeah. job with it. Yeah, absolutely. He does. Uh, listeners, you're going to enjoy this conversation. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. So great to have with us on the show this week, uh, Dennis Barry, recovery coach, uh, presently living in Colorado, big plans to make a move. 
Dennis, thank you for taking some time out from your busy schedule and from your worldwide stable of uh, clients to talk with us here on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, we, uh, we like our listeners to get to know our guests on a personal level. This is not, you know, we, we don't uh, live in the high flown realms of theory. We talk about story and, uh, you know, real life. Uh, so uh, we can only assume you've got a story of your own. Do you have a few minutes to kind of give us a, a thumbnail? How did you wind up as a recovery coach? Isn't that great? We all have a sad story, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So we don't just. Yeah, mine's worse than everybody's. If you knew my story, you would drink too, right? Isn't that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, old recovery yeah, I used that for years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my story, my, the beginning of my story wasn't so sad. I, I had a great childhood, great family, well loved. You know, I had like all the stumbles that everybody else has. Uh, I had, my parents got divorced. I was insecure, full of fear. And when I was five years old, I like to lead with this part of the story so people can relate. When I was five years old, my grandmother said to my mother, he worries like a little old man. Wow. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at five years old, I was already full of that fear and insecurity, just like a lot of people, except I had zero way to cope with that. Mm. I, I just didn't understand life. And that went on for years and years and years. Some people use that as a stepping stone to grow and to become better. And for me, it was a way to drift into more fear and like withdraw within. And, you know, fast forward to 15, I take my first drink and I was like, ah, yeah, I don't have to, feel, I don't have to feel that way anymore. You know, I don't have to feel anything anymore. And, you know, and then that went on for years and then all through high school and uh, then went into college where it just like multiplied exponentially and just escalated to drugs, alcohol, everything, everything, you know, chemical and bad. And uh, that's the way my life went. And it was filled with over 20 drunken car accidents. I drove into a house. Oh, wow. I used to roll my truck over. I lived up in Northeast Vermont where we used to be able to get away with shit like that. I would just roll my <laughs> truck I would like roll my truck back over with some friends and then drive it home. And I'd wake up in the morning with dried blood on my face and go, what happened? Wow. Not even yeah. remember. And, you know, fast forward to 31 years old. I'm giving you the condensed version here. Then I was, uh, you know, hit what we call that, that gift of desperation, that rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And where I couldn't drink anymore and I couldn't stop drinking. My life fell apart. I spent all my money. Uh, I had a even a trust fund my grandfather had with me with six figures in it that I blew through. Wow! And uh, you know I just had nothing left, and my I was uh, seventy pounds heavier than I am now. I had black circles under my eyes. I was physically dying mm. with drugs, alcohol, cocaine, cigarettes, and my life was just failing. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. She came over. And she said, uh, she looked at me and I had lost my job and peed my pants sleeping that night. And she uh, looked at me and she goes, you know, we can't go on like this. And I just started crying. I said, I can't stop. I can't stop. Mm -hmm. And then she got online on the old dial up internet connection. And she got me, uh, she found out a treatment facility. And this was April 8th of 2003. 
And I was in a treatment facility two days later, and I've been sober for 18 years now. Wow. wow. That's awesome. Wow. And were you uh, just one time in rehab, Dennis? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, that's another thing to mention is like, I, I went to rehab once. Mm-hmm. And when people see me, they see a happy, healthy, successful guy, but they didn't see the hunt and the 18 years of sobriety, but they didn't see the, the dozens of failed attempts before right. that leading up to that. Right. So yes, I was only in rehab once, but there was dozens, if not hundreds of times I tried to quit and say, I'm never doing this again. I would wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and cry and say, I'm never doing this again. And then walk over to the freezer and take a shot of Jack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this, Dennis, did, uh, did the drinking and the drug taking and the, the risk taking uh, ever become kind of part of your personal identity, the way you saw yourself, the way you were perceived in the community? Like this is just who Dennis is. Absolutely. Did it go that yeah, deep? Either. I'm sorry. Yeah. Did it? Yeah. Did it go that deep? Yeah. It did. It totally did. It was my identity, and I was the party guy, and I lived in uh, you know real rural mountain towns because I'm an old skier. I'm an old downhill ski guy, and I used to live up there and. I became, so let me go back a little bit to the insecurities to feed into that question, Mm -hmm. to feed that answer there. Um, You know, when I was like 16, 17 years old, for those that can't see, I don't have flowing locks. (laughs) I'm bald, all bald. And my hair started getting thin when I was like 17 years old. And it was crushing me. It was devastating for a boy, a teenage boy to start losing his hair. And uh, I took it that way. You know, I could have accepted it, but I didn't. I said, oh, my God, my life is falling apart. I'm going to be bald and ugly. And, you know, this goes back to marketing. You know, right around that time, the early 90s, the hair club for men was in full swing. And you turn on those TV and you see these guys with great hair and long flowing locks. And I'm like, I'm ugly. And marketing works. They're like, here's your problem and here's the solution. Right. And so I thought. I, you know, I didn't have any money to get hair club for men stuff. So I just went to the mountains and hid from the world mm-hmm. for 13 wow. years. I became wow. a skier because I can hide. I can wear a hat while I'm skiing. I became a oh. chef so I can work because I had to work and make money to support my habits. Mm-hmm. And I could wear a hat in the kitchen. So I went to culinary school and became a chef. Wow. And I hid from the world in the mountains for 13 years. So nobody knew that I was going bald. And the drinking, the partying, it was all part of my identity and all part of my plan to hide and not have to do life. And I was stoned Mm. for 15 years straight. And, uh, you know, there's nothing going on in my life right now that a drink or a drug or anything can fix or make better. Mm -hmm. I just learned how to deal with stuff now. And I have a coach too. I'm a coach and I have clients all over the world. But I also have a coach Mm -hmm. because we all need Mm -hmm. that accountability. Mm -hmm. You know, without that accountability, I tend to drift back into my old ways of thinking, which is fear, insecurity, and whatever the problem du jour is, right? Yeah. And uh, so I just face everything and I work on me the best that I can. And when I slide backwards, I tell my coach and he says, what are you doing? Let's get back on track. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, so uh, you know, I, go ahead, Nate. Go no, ahead, no. Dave. Well, 
I was just going to ask, so when you began your journey into sobriety, at what point did you decide that um, maybe this was a way that you'd like to spend your time, you know, helping people and coaching and getting into writing and because you got, you know, you've got a book, you've got a podcast, you've got, you know, which I, I want to talk about later. But um, w- when did there kind of begin to be a shift in, in your interest as far as making this a vocational yep. thing? Yeah, great question. I love that. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what I talk about, and I'm sure it's similar in your world, is like, well, one thing we learned when I first got sober and I, I started in 12 step and AA and stuff like that, and in rehab, that's what they taught us. And, you know, at first it's like, I remember going into rehab and there's like 50 people there. And those, that's a big group. And then they have what's called small group. So there was like six or seven people in the group. Mm-hmm. And I remember, them going coming to me and them saying, you know, what's going on? And I just started crying. I said, I can't stop drinking. Right. And in order for my life to improve, I had to stop drinking. But then they started throwing these words around like resentment and fear and all these big words that mm-hmm. I didn't understand. I was like, I need to stop drinking. <laughs> or I'm gonna die. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't understand these big words and concepts and everything that's going on. But what happens is after a month or six months or whatever, a little bit of time goes by and I realize that the drinking, the drugs, and you know, to take it where we are today, the drinking, the drugs, the porn, the shopping, the food, the overeating, those aren't my problem. Mm-hmm. My problem is my thinking. I'm using those things to cope with my real problem. Mm-hmm which is the way that I think, the way that I perceive the world. So I had to learn to start working on my thinking and the way that I act. And, you know, what they say, you, you can't think your way into new acting. You have to act your way into a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And so I had to change the way that I think. And I worked on myself. And I loved that it's not about not drinking. It's about growing up and looking the world in the eye. And it's about helping other people and living in gratitude and service. And so I arranged my life starting in 2005. I started helping people change their lives. And so I've been doing this for a long time. And it feeds my soul. Every day when I get up, I kick the covers off. I'm like, I get to help people today. Mm -hmm. And that was a Mm -hmm. foreign concept to me. You know, I was like, how can I help people? I have to go take care of me. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And now I realize when you're helping people and when you're, you know, so many people are focused on making money and working on things for themselves. And what I find is when you focus on doing a good job, when you focus on living in gratitude and living in service, helping others that are less fortunate, those things like money and success and everything, they just follow you around. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why I took the path that I do. And that's why I am where I am today. Wow. Wow. You know, I see a, a couple of twin themes in your life. So on, the, on the one hand, you, you grow up as an anxious child. So that anxiety, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, part of, uh, you know, one card in the personality deck that was dealt to you genetically and then, you know, all the family system and all that kind of stuff. So you've got some anxiety. And at the same time, you are, you're a risk taker. I mean, Downhill skiing is controlled falling. I, mean, <laughs> I don't get right. Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, I don't uh, do that stuff anymore. It's way too cold. And uh, yeah, everybody I know is getting hurt and breaking their knees and backs and femurs and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, you decided you made it, you recently made a decision, uh, a quick but well-reasoned decision uh, to leave Colorado and to part uh, to, uh, you know, a paradise you found in Mexico, right? Yes. It's a risk, but by God, you're doing it. Uh, and I'm wondering how, I, by the way, I love the title of your book, Funky Wisdom. Um, how does the, how did, how has the wisdom of recovery played into, let's say your latest decision to move from Colorado to Playa del Carmen, Mexico? Mm, That's a great question. I love this. Yeah. You guys are great. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Funky wisdom comes from years ago. My friends in recovery used to say, you know, cause I would go and babble, you know, I would, I remember I had to learn how to grow up and how to live life, mm-hmm. not just stop right. drinking. So, you know, there, and it's painful to do in your 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond, Yeah, you know, learn how to live and realize that basically everything I was thinking, the opposite is actually true. <laughs> you know, that's a, yeah. that's a hard way to, like, that's a hard awakening, you know, to have, yeah. you know, in, you know, middle of your life or whatever you want to, wherever you want to term mm-hmm. that. But yeah my years ago. So I would go to meetings or talk to people and they would say, Oh, Dennis has funky brain again. So Uh uh, I was going to call my book funky brain, but I call it funky wisdom because wisdom implies growth. It implies that Uh you're learning something, that something good is going on there. So I went with funky wisdom. My podcast is called the funky brain podcast because there's still some funk going on up there. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) uh, and I combine that with some wisdom. And of course, I have great guests that help me do that along the way, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, one thing I wanted to say when when you brought up my decision to move to Mexico. So, you know, when I was what what would happen? This is a great question. What, what would happen years ago is like I would go. I, I grew up originally in New Jersey and mm-hmm. I would I went to college up in Vermont. And that's how I landed there and ended up skiing and hiding from the world. And I would go and I would drink and party and every once in a while I would go to class but mostly I would <laughs> eat and get stoned and drink and stuff like that and then um uh what happened was I I would get in trouble you know I would have fun mm-hmm. and then I would get in trouble and then I would leave and go down and see my mom and then I would wait there for a couple months until things cleared over and then I would go back up and then I would get in trouble again and I was always running and then I came out to Colorado my sister had moved here and then I was like this is great and then I got in trouble so I went back and I you know uh-huh. I was always running from the world mm-hmm. running from my troubles never learning growing none of that stuff so I hid from the world ran from trouble when I was moving back out here which was, you know, over over 20 years ago, I said to myself, as I was driving across, I was like in Kansas for 12 hours driving across. I'm going, going, I made this decision. I said, I'm not leaving Colorado unless when to do so would better my life. Mm. Unless it was an intelligent decision, whether it was work related or some thought, some sort of well thought out responsible decision, not just because it got hard because shit gets hard all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and so right. through, over the last 20 years, I've gone through heartache, really bleeding, crying heartache, 
I've made a million dollars. I lost a million dollars. I've had massive success, massive failure, health problems, and great health, everything in between, and I never left. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. what I realize is that my whole life, my living in the mountains, my old ski life, my old loving the mountains and stuff like that, it's all old thinking. Mm. It's not uh -huh. who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. It was 30 years ago. I wanted to live in the mountains and ski 100 days a year and hike and do all these things and fish. And I don't do any of those things anymore. And I hate the snow. So I made an intelligent decision based on where I am. And the fact that I have mm -hmm. choices now because I'm clean and sober and healthy to say, you know what? I've been here 20 years. I gave it my all. I had a great life experiences and everything's going really well. And I'm going to make it better by moving to the beach for me. I'm going to make it better for me. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't mm -hmm. just a quick decision. It's been yeah, going on. Right. And because I have choices now, that's what I get to do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, and so uh, did you, it sounds like then you really applied your own kind of funky wisdom to, to that decision, you know, so to speak. I love that the subtitle of your book is a practical guide to life. Cause it sounds like just some pretty practical stuff. And, and, it, and from what I just, I only got to read the uh, kind of a excerpt uh, blurb about the book. Um, but it, it, it sounds like you, you incorporate, you know, multiple types of spirituality and uh, spiritual thinking into the decision-making process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, an, another great question. So you guys rock. I love you guys. <laughs> well, don't tell us that. We'll, uh, it'll go to our head. We'll start uh, expecting money here somewhere or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is I can answer this quite easily. So remember, it's not about not drinking. It's about seeing the world differently. Right. And uh, one of the when I started realizing that. Do you remember Wayne Dyer used to have one of the things that made him so big was he used to be on the public access channels and sell his books and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what made him yeah. really, like, real popular. Mm -hmm. And he used to talk about the power of intention and he did. Yeah. He, and he did like these public fundraisers for the public TV and stuff like that. But I was watching that one day and it was when I started growing up and realizing as an, as a 32 year old at that time mm -hmm. uh, that wow, there's something bigger going on here. And I heard him say, and which I'm, and now is kind of mainstream and popular, but we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, mind blown. You know, like, <laughs> like that's wisdom right there. Mm -hmm. And right then, I, I really realized that it's not about not drinking and it's about living differently. And, you know, when you live differently, you get different results. So I, I, let, I lead a spiritual lifestyle mm -hmm. and I've studied different types. For years, I studied a lot of Buddhism because I just connect with that, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. it's whatever you connect with that's helping you become healthy, successful, productive member of society, keep doing that, mm -hmm. you know, like that's great. And if you believe in uh, Jesus, do that. If you believe in Buddha or Allah or whatever makes you feel good, as long as you're not harming people in the name of God, keep doing that, you mm -hmm. know? And so mm -hmm. I've studied so many different uh, spiritual things along the way. I studied some of the Bible along the way. And, you know, I just 
found a way to live that makes me feel good. And it comes through meditating and calming my mind on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, when we meditate, this gets into coaching and psychology and stuff. But when you when you meditate, our bodies produce serotonin, which is like the calm chemical in our minds. Mm -hmm. And it keeps us calm. And then there's like oxytocin. When you hug people, you feel that that love and acceptance or your pet. You know, you hug your pet. Mm -hmm. And that also calms you down. It keeps you happy. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then there's like endorphins that you get for a lot of people associate that from like eating uh, spicy chicken wings and stuff. But yeah. it's that little rush of that excitement that you feel or an adrenaline. And then there's cortisol, which we know is the stress hormone, right? That's the one that's making everybody sick and on pills yeah. and all kinds of shit like that. Right. So you want to reduce the amount of cortisol levels as much as possible. Right. And we do that by staying calm. And those things like meditation Everybody says meditate. Oh, I tried meditation. It didn't work. Well, if you meditate once for five or 10 minutes and not again for like a month or ever, mm -hmm. yeah. you're not going to get the effects of meditating. The serotonin, right, is cumulative. Mm -hmm. So if I meditate and for 20 minutes and I'm, my brain's producing serotonin, it actually calms me down. It actually also calms down other people in my presence. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So if I meditate in the morning and then in the afternoon for a couple of minutes and then at night, or, and if I meditate every day, I'm, I'm constantly producing serotonin. I become calmer. Mm -hmm. I become more rational. I don't act out. I, I take time to see what's going on. And then I respond intelligently to situations. Mm -hmm. And this is how you become successful, healthy, calm, and productive. Right. And so I live a spiritual lifestyle based in different ways. What works for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to tell you this. I had a strange experience yesterday. Uh, I, I I play around with a lot of this stuff too. And lately, one of the things that's fascinated me is is the breathing techniques that this guy Wim Hof. Have you heard of Wim Hof? Yeah, yeah, easy. yeah, yeah. The Dutch guy. Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. The Ice Man. Right. The Ice Man. Right, right. So you know, I downloaded his app, and I'm so I'm lying on this sofa that you can see behind me in my office yesterday. And uh, you go through these series of you know, this breath work thing where you're taking 40 deep breaths and then you're holding your breath. And not panicking. Uh, and not panicking. Right, right. Yeah. So it's building resilience. And you, so, you know, the first time you do it, you know, you can hold your breath for maybe a minute and a half and then it goes to two minutes and then it goes to three minutes. So I did three rounds yesterday and I've been doing this now for two or three months, not every day, but you know, I've been playing with it yesterday as I finished that third round, all of a sudden I got the biggest high and I, and I'm not a druggie, but I've had ketamine before in the hospital. And this was as close to a ketamine high. I, mean, I felt like I was levitating off the sofa. It was, wow. It was freaking amazing. Yeah, I tried twice later in the day to replicate the experience, and I couldn't get it back. But uh, it 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 did underlie for me the fact that I didn't I did not introduce any kind of a chemical into my body. Whatever whatever prompted that experience came from my own freaking brain. It was my own neurochemistry that did that. Wow. But you know, I would like to offer that another reason you had that experience was consistency. Ah, uh, okay. Doing it on a regular basis, you know, yeah. tuning in to what's really going on up there. When you first do something like meditation or hold your breath or things like that, you're focused yeah. on doing that act, not on the result. You're like, 
you know, why am I doing this? First of all, yeah, you're like, why the hell am I holding my breath? Why am I sitting in an ice bath? Mm-hmm. Like all yeah, these yeah. types of things that he has you do. But what happens is uh, as you do it over time, you do let go. You're not panicking. Yeah. You're not yeah. all tense. The idea is like, oh, and when you do it regularly, it becomes part of your routine mm-hmm. and then you become better at it. Consistency is really the key to anything. The best example that I like to use is diet. Mm. All right. So everybody, if you, everybody's like, oh, you should try this diet. And you're like, I tried that diet. It didn't work. Well, yeah. we, they all work or we wouldn't hear about it. <laughs> so what happens is you, you go on the diet, you lose 20 pounds. And you're like, this is great. You do what it says. You exercise more. And then you lose 20 pounds and you start eating cheesecake again. And then you put all the weight back on. And you're like, well, I tried that diet. It didn't work. But it did work. You stopped doing what it took to get you there. So consistency is really the key. And most people aren't in it for consistency. They're in it for rapid results. Mm -hmm. But, you know, looking good is a byproduct of living well. It's not a rapid weight loss diet. It's not about losing 30 pounds in a month. It's about living well. Mm-hmm. And then you look good and you exude confidence and you people pick up on that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, whenever you're doing any type of spiritual practice or meditation or whatever it is, it's consistency. It's about building a community around you of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. That's spirituality. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people yeah. don't think that. They, they're associating it with some sort of, um, picture of God or what or a certain type of thing you're supposed to be doing, but it's like, you know, community is a big part of spirituality and doing things on a regular basis consistently gets you the results that you're looking for. Yeah. It's just like drinking. But that goes back you to drink on a regular oh go well, ahead. I mean I was just gonna say it goes back to what you were saying uh before when when um you and I and people who come to see us believe that alcohol is my problem. I'm here for you to help me stop drinking. You know, that's, mm. that's the thing, right? You know, I'm here for you to help me stop drinking. Tell me your secret, whatever the incantation is, or the magic beans or whatever the hell you sell, you know, but I'll buy it. But tell me, tell me how to not do this anymore. And, and the reality is, is that the things that are going to change that for us are consistently doing other things and attacking other beliefs that on the surface may have nothing to do. Uh, or, or look like they have nothing to do with, you know, with drinking. But like you said, when you get into the resentments and the uh, emotional hostages that we've taken in our lives and all these different things that we've got, you know, but, but when you're talking about Dennis, where you have um, uh, to attack kind of the false thinking in, in, in all of us and, but in your, in your clients, particularly, what do you find is, um, some of the common things that people are coming in um, who are struggling with um, dependency, what, what are some of the common things that are really the root cause that you find with your, with your people? Well, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about, the insecurities and fears, and all that comes from our subconscious thinking, which was programmed when we were five. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes from some sort right, of fears right. or underlying beliefs that are going on. So the, the, a lot of it is unresolved issues, mm-hmm. you know, the past. And that is really why most people drink or eat or shop or six, watch six hours of Netflix. They don't want to sit alone with their head mm-hmm. in their brain. Mm-hmm. So we have to really go back. The fir- very first exercise, the very first thing we do when I meet with my clients and 
you know, it's a free session. Well, I always meet with people. It's always the first one's always free. And I give lots of homework. And the very first homework assignment is let's talk about the beliefs that you have about yourself and the major six areas of your life. And that's usually your body, your physical um, appearance and how you feel about your body, your health, your um, financial situation, your career, your family relationships, your romantic relationships and your spirituality. So those are really that really covers your life. So what are my beliefs about myself in those areas? And where do I want to go? Where do I want to be? My body's like this. I want it to be like this. My relationship's like this. I want it to be like this. My money's like this. I want it to be like this. Now we've created goals, mm-hmm. right? So one of the main reasons uh, people stay stuck in their addictions is because of lack of focus. And that goes back decades as well, right? So while I was five years old, I was uncomfortable in my own skin. I didn't know how to live. So I started watching TV mm-hmm. or I started eating. And then when I was 15, I, I was still full of fear and security. I didn't know how to handle that. So I started drinking mm-hmm. and then I never had to deal with that. So I programmed my subconscious mind over decades to not have to deal with anything. Mm-hmm. So now we have to deal with stuff. And the reason most people fail in sobriety is because, well, it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. We don't like hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is because we have to change, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, we have to substitute the harmful behavior with healthy behavior. And the only way to figure out all those things is to go back in, look at the harmful behavior and develop new ways, healthy ways of living. Mm-hmm. And we have to reprogram our subconscious thinking, which was programmed to keep us sick for decades mm-hmm. in most cases. And that takes time and it takes longer than a week or a month or six years or, or six months to undo 40 years of thinking. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, can we stop drinking? Absolutely. Can we become productive, successful, useful members of society and make a million dollars and become healthy again? Absolutely. Can we fix our relationships? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's work on all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's going to take time and let's improve our focus and focus on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, we get overwhelmed, easily overwhelmed too. So, right. Another thing central to my coaching is it's called the one thing, you know, the one thing Mm -hmm. we focus on one thing at a time and we crush that goal. We crush it at a high level because what I like to use as a great example here is new year's resolution. (laughs) So every year I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to improve my relationships, stop drinking, stop smoking, blah, blah, blah. And then two weeks later you have all these plates you're juggling. Yeah. And two weeks later, you're like, screw this. Yeah. So you just start drinking again and eating cake and your relationship suffers or you're in debt and blah, blah, blah. And it's because you're focusing on too much crap. It's impossible to do all those big things at a high level right. and get them done well. So what we focus on is the one thing. So when we look at those major goals, we're like, all right, my body's like this. My money's like this. My relationship, my spiritual. Let's pick the one that's going to change your life the most. Mm-hmm. And let's start taking action and get that yeah. done. And that's how we change. Yeah. Let's start with the one that will keep you out of jail. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's a great I mean, one. let's, well, let's, <laughs> you know, we'll aim high, but let's keep you there. But yeah, we always say don't get too well too fast, you know, um, 
because we need build oh, a solid I haven't heard that phrase before. How did I miss that? Really? One? Don't get too well too fast. Yeah, I, that's yeah. wisdom right there. For some reason, everybody wants to quit smoking around the same time that they give up alcohol. And I'm just like, Lord, please, no. I mean, smoke for a while. Let's go look, concentrate on the drinking. We'll get to the smoking. But yeah. Maybe, but I mean, I would challenge. I would challenge you a little bit on that. It's like we want to have our bodies strong, well, the right. best effective guessing thing to overcome cravings, to overcome our our um, emotional pitfalls is a strong body. Yeah. So I like to say, let's quit smoking. I mean, you can smoke for the week, <laughs> but then let's work on that. Yeah. We need to make ourselves strong here. Yeah. We we have our body, mind, and spirit, and we have to constantly be working on those all the time. It's really. It's really hard to have them all in alignment all the time. Yeah. But if I'm eating a pound of chocolate every day, that's just a cross addiction. Oh, sure. You know, I'm substituting yeah. one thing for another. Yeah. But I mean, I see what you're saying because it is, it can be overwhelming. Well, the, but at some point, yeah. we have to address that. Too. The nicotine being, you know, one of the hardest chemicals, I think. Um, and when they're withdrawing with alcohol and they, you know, add another withdrawal to that and another withdrawal to that, you know, I've not seen people succeed really well with that. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Definitely want them healthy to make that transition for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us uh, a, a little more about your coaching practice and how uh, listeners uh, can reach you if they have, uh, if their interest has been piqued by what they've heard so far today. Yeah, everything goes through dennisberry.com where you could buy the book on Amazon and uh, you could sign up for a free coaching session or you could watch the podcast, the Funky Brain podcast. I've had lots mm -hmm. of really cool guests on there and from Theo Fleury, Olympian, uh, wow. Stanley Cup winner, and actors and comedians and all types of people. So it's a lot of fun. And we talk about sobriety, but also life mastery because it's not just about, remember, it's not just about like quitting drinking or smoking or whatever our harmful behavior is. Mm -hmm. It's about mastering every area of our mm -hmm. life. That's how we continue to grow. And that's how, you know, not drinking, not doing drugs becomes easier when we become successful and healthy. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So like I said, dennisberry.com is the best place to um, do that. YouTube has uh, the funky brain podcast. Cause we do the video too. And um, that's lots of fun too. And uh, yeah, please give me a call. We'll just talk for a little bit. If you like it, we'll talk more. And if not, then uh, no problemo. Yeah. All well, right. and, and oh, it's fantastic. Dennis, I hope that you really let us know how uh, Mexico is uh, as a place to live. That, that I mean, I love that you gave yourself permission to do that. What a great, what a great big leap. <laughs> that just sounds awesome. Yeah, I well, I was down there. I spent a month down there in February. And while I was down there, I, I worked the whole time. I saw clients. I did a couple podcasts. I was like, well, I could do this forever. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens. So I'm selling all my shit. And, uh, well, and you know, I'm, I'm going to rent for a year and see maybe something will happen where I maybe I won't like it. Yeah. You know, I, I have an open mind. I'm not like... I'm moving here. This is what I have to do. That's what gets me in trouble, right? That yeah. absolute thinking. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to have an open mind and see where things go. And if it doesn't work out, um, you know, I'm keeping some of my little stuff. You know, I'm selling all my big stuff, but I'm keeping some little stuff. So if, if I have to come back, I still have little stuff and uh, 
if it does work out and I'm going to stay there, then I'll come back and sell all my little stuff too. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. Well, I hope, all right. hope you love it. <laughs> Me too. Thanks. Well, the podcast is the Funky Brain Podcast, available on YouTube. The book is Funky Wisdom, and you can reach Dennis Berry at DennisBerry.com. Thank you so much, man. This has been great. Yeah, we sure appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah, thank okay. you guys too. It was really great. You guys asked awesome questions. A lot of fun. Well, thank, you. thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Stick with us, listeners. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I really enjoyed our talk with Dennis, and I'm so envious of his <laughs> to move to a beautiful, sunny spot on the earth. Yeah, yeah, I think that you know that bears further investigation. Yeah, uh, I wonder if I can talk Allie into that. At least <laughs> I'm going to check, even if I know I'm not going to move, move there. But just a few weeks at Carmen del Playa sounds fabulous. Yeah, I mean, just to get to say that is kind of a fun thing. But uh, but I, pre- <laughs> I appreciated Dennis uh, coming on and making time for us, and um, it was really helpful again to hear uh, somebody really tackling the whole holistic mind body. Um, uh, emotional, spiritual uh, context yeah. of the way they approach recovery with the people they work with. So yeah, it yeah. was, yeah, it was a great, great encouragement. I was really impressed with the fact too that he, he, him stressing that he's a coach and he has a coach, right? And he's still not, you know, he has he he's not living under the illusion that he's mastered life, uh, you know, and that you know now he is this, you know. Smartest guy in the room, doesn't need to ask for help, doesn't need direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just so healthy, so very healthy. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I thought that was a, a great point as well. And it, um, it always encourages me to hear how people, I think the best care professionals are the people that are able to be and stay the most vulnerable so, mm-hmm. you know, the more we have our own coaches, therapists, people we walk with, sponsors, whatever we want to assign that role to, um, you know, the, the, the ability to keep us vulnerable and aware uh, that we're just, we're not that many clicks ahead of anybody. <laughs> so, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. on this yeah. sobriety yeah. thing. So, well, hey, before we close things out, uh, it seems to me in the back of my mind, uh, we must have a sponsor. Do we have a sponsor? <laughs> uh, rumor has it. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Thank you, BetterHelp.com. Uh, BetterHelp is here to help you uh, access your own um, counseling, therapy, uh, recovery, whatever your thing is, anxiety, depression, um, feeling stuck. I mean, all these things. And the great thing is you can access their help right here from your device, from your laptop, from your home, uh, from wherever you are. And uh, betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety will get you a discount on their services and um, your initial subscription. You can um, 
actually keep the same therapist throughout this uh, experience, or you can uh, change therapists if this person may not be a good fit for you. But um, don't stay stuck in your um, in your misery. <laughs> there is help, yeah. and uh, BetterHelp.com is here to uh, to speak to that with you. It's it's affordable and it's accessible. You don't even have to leave your house, so uh, it doesn't get better than that. So BetterHelp.com slash Positive Sobriety. Fantastic. Well, uh, this has been great. Just hanging with you and some other great company. I'm sure that our listeners have profited as much from today's conversations as we have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's for, that's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 